This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. Joined again by my regular guest, Matthew Collar. And I'm going to skip all the small talk, which is probably good for a podcast that we're trying to keep under an hour because Matt and I can small talk about football for more than an hour itself. We need to talk about Super Bowl 55. And beyond that, this is the trend podcast. What trends are we as analysts not only taking from the Super Bowl, but from the 2020 NFL season, I think it's important at the beginning of draft season to always have these trends in mind. I always go back to the 2018 offseason after the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It was all about RPOs and which quarterbacks were in the air raid offense and how much that would boost their stock. Uh, I want to really take a step back and look at the entire NFL, what worked, what didn't, what you need to build your team, to get your team out of the basement. If you're one of those third or fourth place teams, as we head in to the free agent period, and then certainly the draft where teams can take some of these trends, some of these themes and apply them to how they draft the end of April and into early May when the draft is this year. So Matt, this can be really free flowing back and forth. I'll tee you up first. What was your either biggest takeaway from Super Bowl 55 or just covering the Vikings and the NFL at large this season, do you think applies to team building and the draft in 2021? Well, I'll just start with uh, your team should get Tom Brady. Like that's a good place. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But you know, I think that what we see has been a fundamental truth forever in the NFL, but it's almost your only answer now is pressure. That is your only answer for stopping elite quarterbacks. And maybe, again, maybe it always has been. Maybe mean Joe Green when he was slowing down Fran Tarkington way back in the day. Like that was why Pittsburgh was so great on defense. And then they had a complete offense and great quarterback. And being a complete team with a great quarterback is always the best way to win a Super Bowl. But the last two times that Mahomes has been in the Super Bowl, he's faced defensive lines that had a case for being the best defensive line in the NFL. And both times he has not played his best game because it allows the defensive coordinator to do so much more. And I thought we saw the brilliance of Todd Bowles there. Get yourself a great defensive coordinator who is flexible, who is not locked into a system, who was willing to switch and play too high for a large part of that game and dare Kansas city to try and run the ball against them. That would actually be my biggest trend because I, I think defensive line and saying, yeah, you need to get like five great defensive linemen or the same with offensive line. Yeah. You need to get good offensive linemen who don't get hurt. I guess Um, those things are 
really obvious. Everyone wants them. But I think what we're seeing is the league go from a single high league when it was Seattle dominating with that cover one to now a two high league where teams are going to play two safeties back deep all the time on first down on second down where we used to see that extra guy in the box. Even if you have a great running game, I don't think we're seeing extra guys in the box as much anymore next year. It worked for the Rams. It worked for Todd Bowles and they didn't have to blitz Patrick Mahomes. They were able to create all their pressure with the front four, play those safeties back and say, we are not giving up big plays. We are daring you to have a 12 play drive and get into third downs and things like that. I think that was very, very smart on the part of the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I don't think they were the only team doing it and having success with it this year. And we will see more and more of that, which leads to, from a draft perspective, cover safeties who can make plays when you're scouting your safeties look at the guy with seven interceptions in college like Antoine Winfield Jr that is my biggest sort of league-wide takeaway well yeah I think first off those are all great points and I think going a step further or kind of just talking off that uh yeah it seems like defenses aren't going to be and shouldn't be as concerned about giving a team a light box because teams want to pass. And when you do force a team into that 10, 11, 12 play drive on offense, there's, you're just increasing the chances of an interception of a drop pass that gets deflected, that gets, you know, that gets picked off uh, a strip sack, a sack that puts a team in second and 20 or second and 18. Um, and also I think, we have, we saw that not only just in the Super Bowl with the backup tackles in there, that was kind of the low hanging fruit from that game in the AFC title game, the bills and Josh Allen were under pressure so much in that game. And I think in the NFC title game, the Packers not having David Bakhtiari against that really good Buccaneers defensive line with JPP and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vea coming back. And even in Dominican Sue playing well, and they use him on the edge a little bit. I think that's to your point about, how important pressure is. And at the same token, I I'm fine. And we've already talked about them a little bit and we will over the next few months. If you have just a pass rushing specialist, that isn't really going to be that much of a factor on first down or setting a strong edge. We'll hear GMs talk about it during the draft cycle, but can pressure the quarterback in under two and a half seconds with pretty good regularity. There is immense value because you're right. That is the way that you stop or at least slow down a Josh Allen or an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes. And it's weird that Patrick Mahomes is now one in one in Super Bowls, but for about what, seven quarters now, he's not really played good football. That fourth quarter last year against the 49ers when they led that crazy comeback, he was pretty good. But against those two tremendous defensive lines that free up so much in the back seven, I think that's like the blueprint or the trend that teams need to follow. Like for as much as, you know, it's all about getting as many weapons as you uh, can possibly get on offense, having a very deep defensive line that can rotate, uh, I think is really what teams will take into this free agent period and into the draft in 2021. It's a little segue there. Cause I already talked about it. My biggest takeaway is just load up on offense. I mean, take a step back. I tweeted it after the Super Bowl last night. How loaded of an offensive roster the, that the Buccaneers had. Like, we probably should have realized that they were either going to go like 15 and one or just win the Super Bowl. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, 
They sign Antonio Brown. They bring Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. They had OJ Howard until week four. They had Cam Brait. They signed Leonard Fournette. They had Ronald Jones. They drafted Tristan Wirfs in the first round. Like they almost had, and that was like a thing during the middle of the season. Like, oh, do they have too many weapons? Like is Scotty Miller and Antonio Brown, should they not be fighting uh, for playing time? They drafted Tyler Johnson this year um, out of Minnesota. So like they really just said, you know what? We are going to absolutely load up on offense. I wrote an article last year, right after the draft about how teams were seemingly prioritizing, like having three good wide receivers. I think you can throw tight ends and running backs in there. And when there's cap casualties in August or right before the season, if, if a guy can still play and he's a running back and you can keep those running backs fresh into January and then maybe into February, it's absolutely vital. So however many weapons that your team has, they probably don't have enough. I think what we just saw from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might be a little bit of an outlier because they really had like an all-star team around yes. Tom Brady. Yes. But I, I think the point still remains. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs certainly had a lot of weapons too. The Bills did. The Packers did. A lot of the better teams in the NFL uh, had so many weapons that I think that will be on the offensive side. We'll see a lot more tight ends, receivers, and even running backs, whether they signed big contracts or just drafted a lot earlier because you want to set up whoever your quarterback is with a lot of talent and a good environment around him. And here's the thing about the Bucks. If you win an, enough draft picks, if you hit on them and you get guys that can play at least average roles for you between average and great, then you can open it up with free agency because you have guys on rookie contracts and you can start bringing in dudes that are proven. And this is a thing where, again, it's sort of like talking about the tackles for Kansas city, where it's obvious you need your starting tackles or your best players playing in order to beat the other best team in the NFL. And so there isn't really a lesson there. What are you supposed to get a great swing tackle? I mean, I think Mike Gremmers is a good swing tackle, but he can't match up against Shaq Barrett all night long. If you have to drop back pass and you can't use play action or run or anything like that, it's obvious to say you have to hit on your draft picks because everyone wants to hit on their draft picks all the time. No one ever drafts and says, hopefully, you know, none of this matters, but Tampa Bay's roster really came together in that way that over the last three years, they loaded up their secondary with draft pick after draft pick after draft pick. They hit instantly on Tristan Wirfs this year. And I think another point to it is if you can have this mix of veterans. And this might be the thing to take away. If you can have this mix of veterans who are very, very talented, then it helps all your younger players be hits too. I think yep. because yeah. Okay. There's some guys who are so good. Tristan worse might be one. He's going to overcome if he's playing on a bad team, he's going to be good, but it really doesn't hurt for him to be on a veteran offensive line. It really doesn't hurt Antoine Winfield jr. To have the defensive lineman be really experienced and proven and get pressure on the quarterback all the time. I think that these things play off each other. And we've seen that from lots of teams that have gone to the super bowl uh, some have Tom Brady, some don't, but you'll often see where these young players 
perform really well. And I think it's in part because they're surrounded by the veterans. Now, Tampa Bay brought in Brady. So Brown wanted to go there. So Gronkowski wanted to go there. Sue all of a sudden wants to come back to Tampa Bay. So that helps too. It's not just bring in free agents, but I think there are some teams who say, well, we drafted a bunch of guys in the last draft. So let's just leave this position to our development and leave that position to our development. And the young guys will carry you but not if they don't have the veteran players around them to help boost their level of play. Yeah, that's a really nuanced point. I think it's a good one that you do want to have a pretty good mix of rookies that are, or, or guys on their first couple of years of their contract that are cheap rookies. And then those proven veterans and those guys like that are just trying to win a Super Bowl, like in Dominican Sioux that are really good. They might be a little bit expensive, but you know exactly what you're going to get from them. They're disciplined. They have the strength. They played in playoff games before bringing, you know, keeping JPP on that roster, I think was huge. Um, another point to that is I remember hearing, I don't know if it was on a podcast or maybe when he was working for Fox sports, um, urban Meyer, I think it was after the Patriots Ram super bowl a few years ago said that bill Belichick likes to build his team, not from front to back, like the old school way, like build your offensive line, build your D line. But in today's NFL that bill Belichick had evolved to building his defense back to front with Mm -hmm. bringing in Stefan Gilmore and how good JC Jackson was and keeping the McCourty or keeping Devin McCourty signing Jason McCourty um, that I think like you mentioned that the Buccaneers with their draft, like they were forever, like from about 2016 and the 10 years before that, like their secondary was so bad and they (laughs) drafted Vernon Hargraves and they whiffed on him. They went back over the last three years, they drafted MJ Stewart. They drafted Carlton Davis. They drafted Jamel Dean drafted Antoine Winfield, Drafted Sean Murphy Bunting, drafted Jordan Whitehead. A lot of those players were making big plays last night and throughout the playoffs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think there could be something to that, that maybe you want your secondary to be these young, fresh, spry, explosive players. Yeah, there could be, you know, some learning curves for those players to have to go through and kind of a longer acclimation project than getting a Stefan Gilmore, who is five or six years into the league. But that to me, just looking at their roster construction, how not only have they drafted well, which I'm glad you said that this is a draft podcast. And I think every GM is going to say we need to draft well, but I really think this hammers home the point that the draft is the most vital aspect of building your team, that it's easy to get caught up um, with free agency and the names that are already established that, you know, that even the casual fan knows, but the Buccaneers won this Super Bowl because they signed Tom Brady. Of course, he raised that team to new heights, but because they had so many quality players playing on those rookie deals and they have like $30 million in cap space heading into the new league year, which starts mid March. This is not a team that's like the saints at $75 million over the cap. Um, So I think the secondary being younger could be something that we could see teams try to copy and just really placing the biggest onus on drafting well and maybe every couple rounds draft another corner or another safety so just looking at their recent draft picks five guys in the secondary drafted in either the second or third round over the last three years something that um, comes to mind when you talk about 
the players in the secondary and drafting them high, especially is just the physical talent that is required to cover man to man, which ultimately is what every offense is trying to set you up. It's trying to put our best playmakers on your defenders one-on-one and usually on your weakest defender, if they could take advantage of that and a the pressure up front from the veteran pass rushers, where they spent some money, huge, huge help for Tampa Bay for their secondary. But the other point is having those younger guys who are great athletes to try and track receivers one-on-one. I know that a lot of it is technique. Of course it is. But if you're drafted somewhere in the top hundred players, that probably means you're a really good athlete. And so trying to fill those spots um, later in the draft or develop those spots can be really hard if you're not picking at the top when it comes to the coverage. And then it's just, you know, it has to be putting them all together. And we talk about this sometimes with quarterbacks, mostly of, Hey, would this quarterback work in a play action system or in a straight drop back or in a air raid or in a Shanahan? We talk about all those things with quarterbacks a ton, but with the other positions, I think it matters a lot what position you fall into, what defense you fall into. And someone like Antoine Winfield Jr. falls into such a perfect defense for him that can let him use a lot of different roles. He could play deep. He can move down in the box. And we saw him playing as a deep safety quite a bit in that game against Kansas City and making an impact. And I think that having Todd Bowles as your defensive coordinator, someone who was able to, over a two-week period, flip the script on how they had played defense the last time against Kansas city and really design everything knowing that his corners wouldn't have to cover that long. So they said, be as aggressive as you could be. I mean, how many times were, were there, you know, any guys running wide open? What was there room for a bubble screen and things like that? It just seemed like they said, we've got a lot of great athletes and now go be super aggressive. Cause you know, we're pressuring the quarterback in less than two seconds. It all plays off of each other. And it sort of reminds me of that. Like it takes a village to raise a child. Like it takes a, for somebody to be a hit in the draft, it takes a lot of different things to kind of come together other than just they're good players. So when we analyze the draft, sometimes you say, Hey, I think this guy's a winner, or I think this guy's not going to be a hit. Well, sometimes you never know because it really depends on where they end up. Yeah, absolutely. I think the situation, the scheme, the teammates around them, the age of the teammates, like you mentioned, I think is a huge factor, especially on defense. Getting a little bit more specific, I'm going to give a little take here, and I want to hear how you feel about this. Um, in the AFC title game, the Bills were really confused, their passing game, and and really Josh Allen, when the Chiefs rolled out a three-safety look. And we saw the Buccaneers kind of do that to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl with Antoine Winfield, Mike Edwards, and Jordan Whitehead out there uh, kind of patrolling at different levels. There was so much uh, movement pre and post snap from those players. Those dime looks with six defensive backs on the field and not another nickel corner, but another safety, which, you know, that position um, just by definition and just what we've seen from that position over even the last 10 to 20 years can do a lot of different things. Um, I wonder if teams are going to start to say, Hey, like we need to actually prioritize safety, which in the last few drafts, it's not been a huge thing unless you're getting a Derwin James that teams are going to say, Hey, like 
we're going to move away from three linebackers, which most teams have. Nickel is the base defensive formation in the NFL. But, hey, we actually need to use three safeties uh, maybe 50, 60% of the time or in those important games when we're facing a team that has a high-powered offense because the safeties are still fast. They can blitz. They're big enough and willing enough against the run to help in that area. And then they have all the coverage responsibilities in zone and in man-to-man. I thought in those two title games, it was very apparent um, in the AFC title game and the Super Bowl that those three safety looks out of dime coverage um, were really effective for the Chiefs a few weeks ago and then for the Buccaneers. How do you feel about what we saw in those in those marquee games, uh, in those paramount situations that those teams use those three safety looks and how it will kind of project forward to the rest of the league? Yeah, back in the day, it was a uh, it was a Mike, it was a Will and a Sam linebacker, and those guys would play ninety percent of the plays except for yep. third down and long, and that was the only time. The Will linebacker seems like it's been replaced by the nickel corner, but a lot of nickel corners are undersized. I think of uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, who committed the famous non-pass interference uh, Rams versus Seahawks or um, versus Saints a couple of years ago, um, but he's like five seven and weighed maybe one hundred and seventy five pounds. And he's really good in that nickel corner role. And those are good players to have. But we, we know that the sort of pull to the push is, okay, well, now we're going to load up with a couple of tight ends. Now we're going to run the football more often. And the answer somewhere in the middle might be that bigger nickel where it's somewhere in between or teams putting a little more priority on having that third linebacker be a cover linebacker, someone who's undersized and then it all connects in a lot of ways to the defensive line because you can do things like that if your defensive line can two gap and can cause problems in the run game. And this was where Kansas City, I think so very early on, just decided, yeah, we can't really run the ball and we're not going to really even try. And and of course they were so dominated on, on the offensive line that they're maybe they couldn't have run the ball either. But they drafted a running back in the first round and then didn't run the ball at all in the Super Bowl, which you know sort of circles back to the do you really want to draft a running back in the first round? But I just think that it's interesting if teams are going to go to use these lighter type of defenses, if the response at some point will be teams going back to running more or making sure that they have an answer for that. Because I absolutely agree. This kind of hybrid type of player is becoming more popular. It actually might be a home run for some prospects because how often does this happen where we talk about, eh, you know, kind of a tweener, he's a linebacker. That's only 220 or something like that. Those guys should be watching and going not a tweener, but a hybrid. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I don't even think that these hybrid linebacker strong safeties need to be these like 6'3, 215, 220 players because like Tyron Matthew and Antoine Winfield Jr. and Jordan Whitehead, Mike Edwards, Daniel Sorensen, like none of those players are these freaky specimens where you're like, is he a linebacker or is he a safety? Like they're clearly safeties. I think just the versatility and seeing, like you mentioned, someone that you're going to draft to mostly be a free safety. You want a lot of ball production like Antoine Winfield Jr. or like Tyron Matthew um, at LSU and with the Texans and earlier in his career with the Cardinals. And then you want just someone that can do a lot of different things. And I certainly think to your point about, you know, the offense trying to stay one step ahead, there will be a little bit of a market inefficiency where a team could say, Hey, you know what, we're going to get 
the most mauling offensive line. And we are going to try to narrow the margins between how efficient our run game is to how efficient our pass game is because teams, I think are going to say, Hey, look, most of the league is going to want to pass the football and the best teams are going to come out there. They're not going to run on first down. They're going to try to pass as much as they can. Let's just roll out three safeties most of the time. And if we give up a seven or eight yard run, it doesn't really matter. So I think uh, it will be interesting to see if we see more teams like the Baltimore Ravens, like the San Francisco 49ers take a page out of those teams books and say, Hey, look, like we are going to have a numbers advantage and a weight advantage. But I think in general, the rest of the league moving so far into the past happiness era, mm-hmm. um, will lead to a lot of those three safety, not just that extra nickel, but three safety looks. One other point that I want to bring up to something that you said, I, I took away that drafting a running back in the first round, I'm not going to say you should never, ever in no circumstance do it. And the Chiefs picking Clyde edwards alaire at number 32 overall, a lot of people were like, hey, it's another weapon for that offense. Uh, he can catch a lot of passes. He actually was really efficient in the Super Bowl, and it didn't even matter. Like yeah. He had like eight or nine carries for 60-something yards. He was breaking off a couple of long runs. He had that long run at the beginning of the third quarter to kind of get the chiefs offense rolling. So I think for anyone saying like, Hey, a team picking from like 28 to 32 draft a dynamic running back, just get another playmaker. I know we've talked about it with Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. Uh, don't you think the chiefs would have probably thinking today, Hey, we should have picked an offensive lineman there at number 32. Overall, we got good production out of a, a myriad of other running backs and we needed the protection up front more than we needed, even an efficient and good game from Clyde Edwards Alaire. Well, look on the other side. I mean, Ronald Jones is a fairly high draft pick and it's Lenny Fournette, former fourth overall selection playing for his second team. And he's the one that's getting the majority of the carries and making a lot of plays that there's always going to be other guys available. It's not a position I think that you can completely ignore. It's all about when is it actually worth it? And how are you going to use this guy? I mean, if you drafted Derrick Henry high, you're maybe pretty happy with what he's been to your offense. If you drafted Christian McCaffrey or Delvin cook same deal like you see those guys as a centerpiece of an offense but if you're a passing team it's really about the offensive line and not yep. about who is in the backfield because you can have what was his name daryl williams is that i mean yeah they went out and picked up Le'Veon bell they didn't even use him they draft hilarity doesn't make a difference it's like this is a position where Damian Williams, who I think opted out this year, he could have been Super Bowl MVP last year. He was so good. And he's a guy that they got from nowhere. Raheem Mostert, right? Tevin Coleman. There are all sorts of these types of stories where it's not a position that you can invest a whole heck of a lot in or that you shouldn't. And if you want to run, Leonard Fournette is not succeeding because he suddenly got vision and quick feet and moves no. and all these things. He tr- he tried to hurdle someone and it was like me trying to hurdle somebody, but he's just this big rumbler behind an offensive line. That's absolutely fantastic with the Tampa Bay bucks. And, you know, part, partly there, as long as we're on this is drafting those guys sometimes later on in terms of the offensive linemen. I know they got Tristan Wirfs. He was amazing in this game, but 
take shots because offensive linemen are weird and it's really hard to tell who's going to work out and who's not. I think maybe even harder than almost any other position for who's going to work out as a guard or who's going to work out as a center because there's so much intellect involved in that. Keep drafting them at the, at the back end. Like don't draft a sixth round punt returner. Don't draft a kicker. Don't draft a long snapper. Even wide receivers in the sixth, seventh round. I mean, not always, you know, those rarely play out. I feel like these offensive linemen are the guys you should just try to get a bunch of them and see who works out. Yeah, that's an excellent point on the running backs that we were talking about team situation. I think most people understand that like situation matters. But if you're a team like the Chiefs and you are the most efficient passing offense in the league with like a good, but not a great mauling offensive line, like that kind of lessens the reason for you to pick a running back, even at number 32 overall, they would have been better off picking a receiver or another tight end to be that number two to Travis Kelsey. Um, if you're a team that for whatever reason is, is picking at 28, 29, if you're deep into the playoffs and you are the Ravens and you want to run the ball and you have a really good offense and you're going to feature him or you're the Titans like Derrick Henry um, then, or JK Dobbins, then I think it makes a little bit more sense. So circling back to like the Twitter conversation that like the bills should go running back in the first round. Yeah. Like they could use another weapon on offense. If the Packers lose Aaron Jones and uh, Jamal Williams, they could use another weapon, but those are passing teams. And in general, unless you have Lamar Jackson and you have that offensive line of Kyle Shanahan, you probably don't want your team to be leaning on the run game for as mm -hmm. much as everyone's dad and grandpa wants to say in January and February, you got to run the ball in the cold weather. You have to be able to pass it efficiently and stop the pass efficiently. So I think drafting a running back there so early in, in the first round almost like sets you up and your coaches to be like, Hey, we need to feature this guy. He's a first round pick. Like he needs to be an integral part of our offense. There's so many good running backs and We've said it. I am not a running backs don't matter person, but third, fourth round, that seems like this sweet spot to me, the Alvin Kamara uh, rounds where you can get someone that doesn't have to be the focal point right away, but in that right system uh, can really be two, three years down the road before he's super expensive, be that integral part of your offense. Well, look at this last draft. I mean, Edwards Hilaire meant nothing to the chiefs. Deandre Swift, I nothing. mean, nothing to the Lions didn't change their fate. And Jonathan Taylor was not as good as Naheem Hines on his own team in terms of how much impact he makes. And Hines was great when it came to the passing game and he was more impactful than Jonathan Taylor. And why do they run so well? Their offensive line is full of beasts. If you are, I'm just looking at this, if you were sort of redrafting and you're the Chiefs, I mean, LaVisca Chenault could probably help you. Antoine Winfield Jr. could probably help you. Uh, maybe Robert Hunt, the offensive lineman. I didn't check in on, on whether he played well this year, but there are uh, Michael Pittman, T. Higgins. Like, there are a lot of other players in this draft. Chase Claypool. Like, can you imagine this team Yikes. with Chase Claypool on it and Travis Kelsey? I mean, your point is exactly right on the you can never have too many playmakers. And here, here's the thing about Kansas City. Like, they were trying to add them with people like Le'Veon Bell that meant nothing again, but those guys that are down a little bit on their depth chart, they're fast and they're occasionally great, but they're not really technically great and not reliable. So somebody like Hardman is super fast, but 
I mean, you better have him in wide open spaces. If he's got a beat man coverage or something, even a possession receiver like Michael Pittman would have been more effective for them if they were going the more weapons type of thing. And that's exactly with Antonio Brown and with Rob Gronkowski, like these proven players who were able to you know, get open in a big game like that. I think it really showed the difference in how both teams sort of are built and just the, the real depth. It was more of the Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey show. And if those two were slowed down, like a great defensive coordinator is going to try to do, then you're in a lot of trouble. And boy, did the Kansas city chiefs not have answers once they took those guys away. One other thought, unless you have a few others that I want to get your take on. After the conference title games with the Bills losing and the Packers losing, uh, neither team, Buffalo or Green Bay, got great linebacker play um, from their linebacker group in those games. And I saw leading into the Super Bowl a few times on Twitter that like, hey, the Chiefs haven't cared about linebacker in forever. Like who are even their linebackers? You can't even name them. Anthony Hitchens was like a huge free agent bust a few years ago. Um, like do linebackers matter anymore? And I've said it on this podcast that like in the first round, because there's so many responsibilities and it's so difficult to really be like a Luke Keekley or a Patrick Willis type player at the linebacker position with that type of impact early on that I'd kind of shy away from it. Then in the Super Bowl, Levante David and Devin White are all over the field. Um, what are your thoughts on the future of the priority of the linebacker spot, that off-ball linebacker, those two that are mostly going to be on the field uh, pretty much every down in the NFL? I think the issue is in order for it to make a difference, it has to be someone special. Levante David is special. He has been special, right? He's just never gotten his due because their Mm -hmm. team was bad, but he has been special. Like you said, one of the better players at that position for a long time. And then their other linebacker is a top draft pick and generally has not been a great cover linebacker, but white has been a great blitzer and has made his impact felt that way. And then when in the biggest game, he comes through. And I do think of this position is if you have one of those guys that that is such an extra bonus for you. And you should always be looking for it. Think about how many times uh, Devante Hightower for the New England Patriots would be making huge plays and huge games. And maybe yep. during the regular season, you only noticed his impact sometimes. And he was kind of a, a blitzer, just like White is and things like that. But then in the biggest games, when those teams always have more playmakers, tight ends who can make plays, they often you know, have a, a good offensive line and a running game and things like that. Usually, if it's not Kansas City's offensive line being beat up. So if you have those players like a Bobby Wagner, like an Eric Hendricks, it is just a massive advantage. The problem is, how do you find them? Because we see them get drafted in the early rounds. And a lot of times you go... That wasn't worth it to get that guy because it takes such a unique skill set. It takes incredible athleticism, but it takes IQ that is on a different planet for Eric Hendricks and for Bobby Wagner to make a difference. And how, when you're trying to draft a guy out of college, can you really tell that? I mean, I can't, I can't watch a college linebacker and say, wow, this guy is going to be a complete game changer in the NFL. I felt that way about Roquan Smith. He's been pretty good but he has not been Bobby Wagner. Good. So I, I think it's very difficult to tell. It's not difficult to tell if a wide receiver is super fast to catch the ball. It is difficult to tell if a, li- a middle linebacker is somehow going to be, you know, a wizard in terms of his football acumen. 
Yeah, that kind of takes me back to just my thought that uh, drafting a linebacker in the first round is super risky. I think even though one has come off the field for, mo- for almost every team, there's really only two linebackers that teams are using today. So that just in and of itself, you would think, well, the position has to be getting devalued. I think the position, if you have a good one, is super valuable. But like you said, it's almost like, oh, like just – just make sure that you have a few really good offensive tackles. There's just not a lot of linebackers mm-hmm. coming into the NFL that have four, four, two speed, like Devin white, that are great blitzers that can read their keys in an instant um, that are good in coverage. And really Devin white, like you said, has not been that great in coverage. Mm-hmm. I think behind a bigger space eating defensive line with Vita Vea in front of him and then Sue, it freed him up a little bit like he was at LSU. So I think it's still a risky proposition picking a linebacker that early, but maybe that goes back to situation. If you know, you have a ferocious defensive line and a couple of really big bodies that are not going to let that uh, offensive line get to the second level as frequently in the run game. And you feel that their athleticism, their explosiveness, their, their smoothness and their hips and their ankles to cover is good enough. Then maybe that's where you're like, all right, our organization, where we are with our roster, that's, when you feel comfortable picking a linebacker. I just thought it was really interesting how Mm -hmm. it went from like linebackers don't matter anymore because look at the teams in the Super Bowl, look at the teams that lost in the title games. And really with Luke Keekley retiring and Bobby Wagner playing his ass off, but not being on that good of a defense this year um, that people were like, Hey, linebacker, just forget about it. Just throw all, you know, seven defensive backs out there and just see how it goes. And then we had Levante David and Devin white really steal the show on defense. I thought for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the super bowl, anything else that really stands out to you either from the super bowl or just covering the 2020 NFL season. Yeah, let me just follow that up real quick with looking at that last draft and how Isaiah Simmons really struggled. Patrick Queen, it was a horror show for him this year. Uh, Jordan Brooks, like what exactly was Seattle thinking? So it is very risky taking those linebackers if you have one where they can recognize route combinations and read their keys correctly all the time and just have this great feeling. It's like a cheat code. It's just, how do you get it? It's like having a great kicker. How do you know if someone's going to be a great kicker? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't think it's really predictable. Co- college kickers, uh, what was his name? Aguayo. He makes all those kicks at college. Like, oh, this guy's amazing. Spend a draft pick on him. No. And then you'll have undrafted guys all over the place become great. Linebacker feels kind of the same way where you really don't know until you see it on an NFL field. So you probably shouldn't take it in the first round, even though you need it, if that makes sense. Um I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious about just if we get a sense next season for how much this season was impacted by COVID Um, when it comes to the progress of the young players, when it comes to, you know, how much guys from this draft class who we were just sort of making fun of some of them for not working out, but how many take a next step because things were really stacked against them. Um, You know, I, I think that we don't really have a full sense yet of how, it impacted everything. And my hope for America and for the NFL is that next year it's back to much, much more normal than it was this season, especially in the off season for young players. And, um, you know, I'll be curious to see how the next draft class does in comparison to this one and how many guys we see take a next step um, in year one that maybe didn't do a whole lot for their teams this year as draft picks. 
Yeah, that's a good point to bring up at the end here, because I think COVID did have a big impact on all of our lives and probably a lot of these young players. I mean, beyond the first round linebackers, we talked about it way long ago, how bad the first round rookie corners played this year too. And like, those are two really intricate positions where it's so much physical, but so much about it is mental and processing things in a hurry uh, that I think we probably will see guys like Jeffrey Kuda and CJ Henderson, AJ Terrell bounce back a little bit. And then this next crop of linebackers and corners play a lot better with hopefully a little bit more of a normal mm -hmm. off season and training camp, stuff like that. One last minor point. It's, it's like, I'm kind of realizing that this podcast is like, I make a point, then you talk off it. Then I talk off it. Um, if I'm sitting there in the first round and like you said, and me even being a draft analyst, I, I get it. It's extremely difficult to like project a linebacker forward, especially because I think there's still a pretty big disconnect as to what a college linebacker has to do and then comparing him to what he has to do in the NFL. Like a lot of those first round linebackers, Jordan Brooks, Patrick queen, Kenneth Murray, like they were fantastic in college. They were just stopping the run. They're super athletic. And then in the NFL, they have to cover a lot. Uh, if I'm sitting there and I'm a GM and we're picking in the twenties and there is a linebacker or there is a safety and you know, the safety has had like a thousand more coverage snaps, made more plays on the football. He's not as good against the run. He's going to get bulldozed by a pulling guard every once in a while. I think now I'm picking the safety. And I normally would say, you know, safeties don't make a big impact you know that often in every game i think you have to go with the safety for what i was saying earlier of the uh increase in what we're likely going to see more three safety looks instead of you know a, that other linebacker on the field um but yeah it, like that's kind of just like a draft philosophy that I, i'm interested to see if it plays out actually in the draft and in scouting linebackers this year, I recently got through the top couple. Um, and I said, when I was uh, talking about my grading system and explaining it that like, I tweaked the categories, like what I think is more important. And I added blitzing, which mm -hmm. I did not have in the past to, to the off ball linebackers. Like yeah. I had size there. I took out size, like size for linebacker and some positions, it certainly matters. I don't think size for linebackers really matters anymore. I, I'm not going to ding a linebacker if he's six foot 220. I, I don't think that even is worth a category that has the least amount of weight. I think if you can blitz, you can beat that extra pass blocker, whether it be a tight end or a running back with either just a bull rush or you can swim past him and affect the quarterback that way. If you're not so good in coverage, then like that's a tick box for me because so many of these linebackers like Kenneth Murray watching him at Oklahoma, I don't think you ever saw him drop into coverage. Like he was playing quarterback spy or halting the run. That was basically it. And a lot of times he was just standing there and watching the ball fly over his head. He wasn't really doing anything. If you can be a good blitzer like Devin white is, but you're not so great in coverage. I think a smart and good defensive coordinator is going to say, all right, we're not going to try to match you up with Travis Kelsey on every snap. We're going to send you after the quarterback and let you be that fifth or that sixth rusher to create pressure, to impact our secondary in a positive way by doing it like that. I think I'm looking for that. Also with the undersized guys, you don't have to ask why aren't you a pass rusher? Cause that's always interesting to me. If you have a yeah. freak, a freak athlete linebacker and you go, why aren't you a pass rusher? There must be a reason for that because everybody wants to be a pass rusher because that's where the money is. Um, but I, I think if I'm looking for linebackers, 
it's very hard, but my number one thing is just route recognition because a lot of times they don't have to go man for man. Sometimes they do, but not always, but it's just, how are you reacting to play actions? How are you reacting to, I mean, things that we see all the time, little slant drags and things like that, that put linebackers in tough positions. How are you dealing with those things in college? And how is that going to translate to the NFL? Because obviously it's a lot harder in the NFL, but that's a good start is if you can recognize those things and react to those things quickly in college, maybe you've got a chance, but it's a hard position. I agree that I think your chance of hitting on a safety is probably higher because of how different the game is when you go and play uh, in the NFL. But I also want to say just, wow, I can't believe we got it done. Like just great that we got a full season in of the NFL because we saw what a mess it was in college. Hockey's having problems. NBA's having problems. Baseball had their issues. So, you know, in terms of what we had for this season, uh, I guess I'm appreciative that it all worked out. All right. That's all we have for tonight on the docket. This was the trends episode. We're going to see if any of these trends or themes carry out through the off season with the way the teams try to build their rosters through the draft for Matthew Collar. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.